What do you do for the last in a series? You bring out the best. <laughs> we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today, and it's a longer passage of scripture. I mean, we're talking like 34 verses, so I'm not going to make you stand for that, 24 verses, because that's a lot of verses, and I know that you've already been up and down for three, four pastors, and, and I really want you here tonight, so I don't want to wear you out this morning. But I do want to just do one more pitch for the, Take the Land. You know, God has given Dayspring a reason to be in this area. And it's for BG, but it's not just for BG. Since its inception, Dayspring has been a regional influence, a regional church for Wood County, for the 419, for our area. And I believe that God has positioned us strategically to take the land. And so we are going to talk about what that looks like for, uh, the, for the next couple of, of weeks, starting next week. And we're going to use the life of Joshua to get that done. So just so you know where we're going, uh, so you can begin to pray for, for that direction. But it's going to be so much fun together. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. You're going to cry because the jokes are bad. You're going to laugh because the points are just as bad. But <laughs> we're going to get there together, and it's going to be good. So let's go to Acts chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 16. And it reads like this. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit for fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some times as a parent that I read this passage of Scripture and understand it. Now, I'm not saying that there's a spirit of divination on my children, but I am saying that they follow me around for days on end, saying things that just drive me bonkers. At that very hour, the Spirit came out of her. Verse 19, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. They brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, these men being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. When they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Verse 24, and having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. That's a bad day, isn't it? Let's stop there and we'll pick up in a little bit. But this is a really bad, terrible, rotten, no good day. What's going on in this passage of scripture is not very fair in the eyes of man. Where Paul and Silas are is they're in Philippi at this time. They had just had an incredible dream where a man appeared to them in a dream and said, Paul, you have to come and you have to tell us about Jesus. It's called the Macedonian call. And so Paul on a second missionary journey is, is leaving from Trous and he goes over to Philippi because God called him in a dream. While he was there, he had an incredible revival service. 
They were going up to the, to the Sabbath. They were going up to pray. And, and, and this, this woman that was a seller of purple, she was a very influential lady in the town, asked them some questions. They told her about Jesus. Her name was Lydia. Man, she gets radically saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. They are just on cloud nine, like, woo, we follow God's call, and we are right in the middle of God's will. Where we're, where, when we are in the middle of God's will, there is perfect peace. This is what perfect peace looks like. And then the next day, right in the middle of God's will, right in the middle of an extreme outpouring of revival, right in the middle of their perfect peace, some girl is following them around, prophesying over them, that they worship the Most High God and that they bring the path to salvation. Now that doesn't seem very bad, does it? I mean, if somebody follows me around saying that over me, I'm saying, that's right. You must have read my LinkedIn. You must have dialed into my social media. You know exactly who I am. Now let me tell you about who God is. I would have taken that as an opportunity to just uh, show off God a little bit. But Paul, Paul, he grew frustrated because maybe, maybe the girl was not prophesying positively over them. We already know that she had a spirit of divination, which is a demonic influence in her life. We know that the demons know that Jesus is Lord, but we also know that they're not going to promote his fandom. That they're going to try to distract from his fandom. And so actually, the words that were used here in the Greek were, these men are actually men of the Most High Zeus. They are here to show us the appropriate way to our salvation through Him. The spirit that is called divination in the Bible is a pethionic spirit or a python-like spirit. It's known in this area as a, a, a Greek god that represented itself as a ventriloquist, that he would attach himself to people and begin to talk on their behalf. It's interesting how the Greek gods show up in demonic force, the Roman gods as well. So this is what was going on. Paul recognized exactly what spirit he was talking to. Why? Because Paul was himself a Roman citizen. So he had been grown up. Is that a word? Can I say that? Growed up? He had been taught appropriately the Roman rules and how their gods operate. So when he sees this woman in this area talk to him this way, he understands that this, in fact, is a demonic oppressed woman. So he lets this happen for a couple of days, and it says that he grows annoyed, and that's what our English translation is. But in fact, the reality is, is that he grew great compassion and despair for the girl. He was annoyed at the enemy, but he was compassionate for the daughter. And so he looks at the, the girl, but he talks to the devil, and he says, this girl has been making profits for a lot of years. She's been fortune-telling in this area they knew who this girl was. In fact, if they needed their prophet read to the, uh, their, their uh, future read to them in this time period, they would go hunt down these men, pay them money, and sit and have this girl read their mail to them. Paul and Silas, in one word, in one sentence, tore down the economic structure that the enemy had built up for a generation. If the enemy cannot distract our worship, he will distract our economy. 
If he can't get our worship attention, he'll try to grab our money attention. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So he knew that he had this on lock, that he had the economic advantage in this area, that nobody would mess with this woman because she drove an economy, and these men must have been influential because they had direct access to the magistrates and the authorities in the land. So much access that they didn't have to make an appointment. They just kicked down the door and said, hey, listen, beat these people up. And they say, okay, we'll do that. This is the modern day mafia right here. This is like going up against one of the family. And Paul, with compassion of the girl and frustration with the enemy, in one sentence, you come out of her in the name of Jesus. The enemy had to flee. He has no question. He has, he has no conversation. There's, there's no debate. There's no dialogue. It's not like when I say, hey, Josh, go clean your room. But dad. There's no but dad moment. When you, when, you, when you infuse the name of Jesus onto a demonic situation, there's no conversation that needs to be had. I think that there's too much conversation that we try to have with the enemy. We try to reason back our ground instead of taking back our ground. And we can have a good lesson here from Paul that we can become so annoyed with the enemy that we can use one sentence to take back economic ground, to take back spiritual ground, and to cause a mess at the same time. Because when you pick a fight with the enemy, he fights back. Do you know that? So Paul says, come out in the name of Jesus. And it says... But when the master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they didn't care about the girl. She was a means to an end. They were like, we're going to be broke. Our way of making money is gone. They didn't even have another uh, offense that they could bring up against Paul and Silas, so they just make one up on the spot. In fact, it's a good one. Because in Rome at this time, there was a, a decree that you could not worship or have religion that was not instituted by the state. You could not proselytize your message. It's called Hellenization. What they would do is they would infuse their culture onto another culture, allowing the other culture to keep their religious practices, but putting Roman culture on top of that. It was their goal to make sure that Roman culture infiltrated the other culture and not the other way around. And so they made it illegal for you to tell anybody else about your faith. This is why the Jews were hated, because the Romans had a lot of gods. But the Jews said there's only one true God. And the Jewish people, especially Jewish Christians at this time, were very bold about that statement. They said, oh, you're telling us that we can't tell people about Jesus? Well, guess what? We're going to tell people about Jesus. Oh, you're going to take prayer out of school? Not on my watch. I'm going to pray in the school. Sometimes we don't let the government dictate what we're going to be about. And when we let the government dictate what we're going to be about, then we capitulize to the government and we lose our witness. I'm getting in to take the land now. I better stay with awakening. <laughs> so all our money is gone. We're going to drag them to the authorities. It says that they seized them and they drug them. It's like they grabbed them by the ear and they just pulled them right along. It was not seized in such a way that was comfortable for Paul and Silas. It wasn't like, hey, Paul, Silas, listen, we don't agree with what you've been doing. We're going to sue you. We'd like to meet you in court tomorrow at 930. Is that okay? And Paul and Silas were like, hey, that's great. You can sue us. It's fine. No, it was like, kick you in the knee, break your kneecaps. We're dragging you to the magistrates. Right in the middle of God's will. Doesn't that sound fun? Like, send me, Lord. Wait, 
Maybe, maybe we should consider what we're praying. And so they did. They went to the magistrates and the these guys at this time used the specific language that would grab the magistrates' attention. They said, these troublemakers, these insignificant Jewish men are coming into our Roman culture and, and trying to teach us ways that are illegal for us to follow. And it says that the magistrates and the authorities were so troubled by this it says here if you read it it looks like they ripped off their clothes like they were just frustrated so they took their clothes off that's not what it was this is that they stripped paul and silas of their clothes because they wanted to beat them and see where they were hitting them i don't know about you but i would be having a conversation with jesus at this point i'd be like hey jesus could you show up in this situation just like you did with the slave girl Remember how that demon just went on out of her? Why do I got to get hit right now? But Jesus, listen, those rods, they really hurt. Could you just send me a little bit of the armor of God to cover me? I know that there's no back pl plate, but I'll put the breastplate on right now if you just let me have something. Nope, Paul and Silas, they get beat. And not only do they get beat, they get thrown into prison. Not only do they get thrown into prison, they get thrown into worse prison in the hardest place to get out of, in the dungeon. And not only do they get thrown into the dungeon, but listen, there is a rumor going around because a couple of chapters earlier, this guy named Peter was arrested and he was going to be beheaded. But there was about a time in the evening that an angel came and just let Peter out. And they're like, look, these people have some crazy stuff that happens when you put them in jail. So we're not playing any games with these two knuckleheads. What we're gonna do is we're chaining their feet up. And I don't want you to make it comfortable. I'm not looking like you put a, 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 an ankle monitor on them. I want a chain that digs into the ankle bone. I want something that every time they move, they remember where they're at. I want them to see the authority that they have to walk under now because they can't walk under it anymore. You show them the strength of the Roman government right here. You show them what rules that they're enforced to play by. This is what the enemy does. He likes to project a really big, hard circumstance in front of you so that it distracts us from our worship and we don't fully give it to God. We start to worry about what's going on around us. It's just an old tactic of the enemy. It's just played out in their life right now. But we got to understand that they're right in the middle of God's will. Maybe peace in the middle of God's will is not that everything is smooth. Maybe peace in the middle of God's will is knowing that God has you there for a reason. Now, I'm saying that there was some demonic oppression that was keeping them in this space. There was definitely an economy that was trying to be built up against them. But Paul and Silas knew that something was going to happen. And we stop reading right there and their feet are in stocks. And, you know, this is about the afternoon. This isn't like where they just get into prison because it says in verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and there were prisoners listening to them. But at midnight, it's talking about later on in the day. This is like four in the afternoon where this happens. And then we read that at midnight, they start doing this. It just means to me, if I'm reading this through my perspective, what I'm seeing is, is that at four o'clock till about midnight, about what is that, eight hours, I'm going to have to get some things right with the Lord. 
about eight hours it's going to take me to really process out what God has just put me in. They weren't thrown into jail and then all of a sudden they were singing hymns and worship songs. But it says around midnight they started to do that. At midnight, they started to have a change. At midnight, something began to shift. At midnight, there was a change in their perspective. At midnight, there was a different atmosphere in the room. At midnight, but before then, it was just pretty pretty pitiful. Before then, they were just two guys that had been beaten because they cast a demon out, and they had chains that were digging into their ankles, and it wasn't fair. Now, what I call this is a pity party. Because this is what I would be having. God, I have served you faithfully. God, you put me right in the way of that girl, and I cast that demon out, and in the name of Jesus, it happened. God, this is not what I signed up for. God, I did not sign up to have ankle chains on my feet right now in the middle of the jail, surrounded by people that I'm certain if I met them in daylight, they would shake me with a knife. God, I am not signing up for this. But something happens at midnight that changes everything. It says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. And the prisoners began to listen to them. Now singing hymns, what does it mean that they're singing? There's these halal hymns in the the Psalms. It's Psalm 34 through something, and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's the halal halal, uh, uh, scriptures, and it's like, God, you're so good. Even though you cast me into the depth, I know you are there. God, you're going to take my uh, my enemies and crack their heads with the hoofs of horses. Like, this is some pretty cool stuff, right? It's not like, you know, goodness and mercy will follow me. It's like, no, I'm going to be cast down into the pit, and you're going to come down, and you're going to rescue me from the pit of despair, and great is going to be your name. This is what Paul and Silas are singing in the middle of the jail at midnight. Now, if I'm another prisoner in this time, if it's around midnight and I've been in jail all day, I don't have the energy or the mood for a bunch of people wanting to have a worship service. Have you ever walked into church and you just felt a little bit down, a little bit exhausted, and you're just like, oh, we're singing that song again? (sighs) Do we never sing another song? We get it. There's a move. Okay, whatever. Four times in a row? You know what I'm talking about? Like you walk in and you're just like, I, I'm here out of obligation. But I'm not here because I want to worship anything. And then you get around people that that have this joy and you're like, oh man, I know what they're going through. I know that they're in a battle right now, but look at the joy in them and it just does something to you. Have you ever been in an environment or a situation where you walk in a little bit pouty and then by the end of it, you're kind of listening to other people. You're like, oh, they got something to say. Oh, they're raising their hands. I know what they're going through. Wow, that's incredible. If they can do that, I can do anything. There's something about praise that just begins to change our perspective, isn't it? That we can be in the middle of a prison, in shackles, with mud all around us, and prisoners that want to kill us, and all of a sudden, we just get a little bit of praise going in our heart, and our whole perspective begins to change about what God is doing in this place. It's kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, you put us in the fire, and you, we know that you can get us out of this fire, but if you choose not to get us out of this fire, we're going to just take a praise break anyway. It doesn't matter what's going on around us, because what's going on inside of us is far greater than what's going on around us. But it takes a little bit to get there, doesn't it? 
It took eight hours. It would take me about eight days. Okay, I'm still in these chains, God. Well, in the name of Jesus, chains break up. Like you did for Peter. Just break them up. God, are you not listening to me? Break them off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, have you ever boxed with God? Come on. I boxed with God. You know what stinks is when he hits back. <laughs> He's like, hey, shh. I'm like, oh, gosh. Deborah and I read through the Bible every year, and, and, and the one we chose last year, the whole month of December, we were in the book of Job. And we were just like, oh, my goodness, Job, get over it. <laughs> it's going to get better, Job. Stop whining. And then God's like, exactly. I'm like, oh, okay, you had to say that to me. He's like, yeah, stop your whining. Get over it. Who do you think I am? Who do you think you are? You know what I'm have you ever had that conversation? Like, God, who do you think you are? He's like, who do, who do you think you are? I am God. Oh, my, you're, you're God. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, okay? About midnight, Paul and Silas have a little bit of a change. Maybe they say, hey, look, you know what? We've been complaining long enough. We've been talking about what happened to us long enough. It's not fair. But you know what? It's not going to be fair to serve God. It's not going to be fair in the struggle, and it's not going to be fair in the favor. Because God didn't call us to be fair. He called us to be faithful. And Paul and Silas begin to change their perspective. And they say, you know what? we got to have a completely different perspective. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's keep Jesus on the throne. Let's keep the devil a liar. Let's go from a pity party to a battle cry. Let's go from wallowing to worship. Let's see some movement in this place. And they just begin to cry out and praise God. They begin to just have a little praise break in the prison right there. Just, God, you're so good to us. God, oh, we love these chains. They're breaking our ankles, but they can't break our spirit. God, you are so good to us. I'm telling you, I would be so spitting annoyed if I was a prisoner in that place. <laughs> Shut up. But no, the prisoners leaned in. They're like, oh, something's different about these guys right here because they're going through a lot of pain and a lot of struggle right now, but they got a different story that they're telling. And the question I have for you this morning is, are you okay when God wants to use your struggle to help somebody else through their story? Are we okay that God wants to use those moments where we feel like we're locked in a prison with our ankles chained up and no hope for the future. But at the midnight hour, the perspective changed. No longer were we pity partied, but we were battle cried up. I'm wondering if there is a battle cry in this room. I'm wondering if there is a congregation in a church that's ready to wake up and just shout to God to say, God, it doesn't matter what we've been through in the past. It doesn't matter what you're going to take us through in the future. It doesn't matter what you're going to get us through right now. But we know without a shadow of a doubt that you are good and your mercy endures forever. That though you cast me into the pit of despair, you rescue me up with your right hand. Woo! We go from pity party to battle cry. I have to take off my jacket. Then what begins to happen? Something begins to change. They are in prison, but it turned into a worship service. They were locked up, but the ground began to shake. 
See, it says that a great earthquake began to happen. And it, it was so great that it shook the foundations of the prison, that the chains not only of Paul and Silas fell off, but the doors also flung open of every prisoner in that place. It said that when their praise was activated, the atmosphere had to get aligned with their praise. That when our praise gets going to God, that the atmosphere surrounding us has to change. That though we might be locked up in a bad situation, one little praise break can throw open prison doors, but not just ours. Those are watching around us. We're in the middle of Kroger. Just hallelujah, God is good. And people are like, whoa, what just happened? I'm an atheist, but there's something different about you. Yeah, there is. I'm a little crazy, but God is good. Is it okay if I'm a little excited this morning? Look, I didn't eat any breakfast. I had half a cup of coffee. So this is not even, this is all God. Praise. Oh, it shifts the atmosphere. It changes the moment. It changes the mood. But at midnight... Somebody is looking at a situation in your life that is 11.59 p.m. on the clock and you're one minute away from the greatest miracle that God is going to do in your life. You said, I've been shackled in these chains for too long. I've been locked in these prison doors. Everybody around me is locked up because of what I've been through. I've been beaten. I've been bruised. I've been, I've been hurt. I've been impacted. But at midnight, do you got a praise inside of you? Do you got something that's going to move you forward? Do you got something that says, God, you are good. You are on the throne. You are going to be for me and not against me. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, do we have a praise break? Now, here's what I want to tell you. 11.59 seems scary, doesn't it? I'm looking at the clock. It's almost 11.59 now. But at lunchtime, we all ate. Well, those of us who were fasting didn't, but the rest of you got to eat. I think that what we have is we have too many coffee breaks. We have too many smoke breaks. We have too many mental breaks. We have too many breakdowns. We have too many breakups. We have too many things that, where we put on the breaks. But what God would require you and me to shift the atmosphere of our life and increase our faith is to not have another smoke break, to not have another coffee break, to not have another mental break, to not have another breakup or a breakdown, but to have a breakout of a praise break and let God know exactly what we think about him and put the enemy on notice that God is in this place. Praise, it shifts the atmosphere. But at midnight, we need a chain break and prison door open and earthquake and Jesus is alive, God is good, the devil is a liar, spirit and power, praise break. I missed that one, so I had to get it in. Here's the cool part though, is that the praise isn't just so that we jump high and look crazy in the moment. The praise is always to lead other people to Jesus. That it's not what we're going through in vain, it's what we're going through so God can use it to show other people that he's good. That it says that he works all things to good for those who are in Christ Jesus and called according to his purpose. We better be about his purpose because then our pain is used. Praise always leads to others' freedom. Every chain was broke. 
every door was open. These men and women in this prison that once were locked in chains were now captivated by another message. They didn't leave their cells. They didn't leave the prison. They didn't leave the moment because even though they had their freedom, they were lost in another story. What is it about these two guys that drives these people to not run out from the prison? I don't, I've never experienced the prison doors opening literally, but I would imagine in a maximum security prison that if the prison doors open up, nobody's going to sit around and wait. Like, hey, were they supposed to open? Maybe we should wait. Let's just wait and see what happens. But when the story is as powerful as the story of Jesus, people get captivated and want to hear more. And the jailer wakes up and says that he wakes up. <laughs> it wasn't the worship that woke him up. It was the earthquake. He wakes up. He's like, what happened? You know, what's going on here? He says he sees that the prison is in shambles, that all the doors are open, that he gets so scared that he's about to take his life. Now it says, it says that Paul and Silas cast the demon out. It says, but when they heard, talking about the guys, then it says, but at midnight. So this is a transition point of buts. Not the bad kind, the good kind. But God. But when. This is the jailer's about to kill himself. And it says that, but when the jailer picks up the sword, Paul cries out, don't do it. Do not do that. We're all here. Here's my reality. Is that I feel like if somebody has wronged me, I get a lot of pleasure sometimes in seeing them get payback. You know what I'm talking about? Like if, uh, okay, I'll just say this the other day. I'm not a good driver. I, I actually, I'm the best driver, but I just can't stand other people driving around me. And this lady cut me off. I mean, she cut me off. It's snowing and she cuts me off and I got my kids in the car and I'm just ticked. Has anybody ever been there? I'm just mad. So I get into the other lane because we had plenty of space and I get right beside her and I just clap at her. <laughs> my kids are like, what's going on? I'm like, that, oh, just, just somebody here. So I'm clapping at her. It's not here. Praise the Lord. It's not here in Chicago, which is even more dangerous. They'll kill you. So I'm clapping at her and I'm like, oh, this lady, you know, just going out. And then she, uh, she gets behind me and cuts over like she's going to speed up and she hits a red light and I'm like, ha 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 ha, yeah, you got the red, I got the yellow, boo yeah, you know. I think it's human nature though. We like to see people suffer that do something against us. Like, you kicked me in the shin, I'm gonna punch you in the nose. Like, this is just what it is. Could you imagine, Paul and Silas, they were beat by this guy. They were, they were chained up by this guy. He made sure that the chains were really tight on this guy. And this guy is so frustrated that he's about to take his life. And Paul and Silas, if they were me, they would say, though my enemies slay me, God, you get them back. But Paul says, no. No, 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 your life is too valuable for that. We're all here, don't do that. And when Paul shows compassion upon the person that was his adversary, it just shocks the guy. And his immediate response is to throw down and say, what do I have to do to be saved? 
How we handle offense will directly influence the manifestation of salvation in our life. Not in our heart, but because of our situation. And that jailer and everybody in the jail and all of his family, they get saved. They get saved. When God says there is nothing too difficult, he's not playing around. He can use whatever mess you're in to create a message. He can use your pain to tell a different story. But at the midnight hour, if you're looking at 11.59 right now, can I tell you midnight's coming? That at midnight, your victory is here. That at midnight, your perspective will change. That at midnight, the atmosphere will shift. That at midnight, salvation will be manifested. That at midnight, when your praise goes up, his glory comes down. We're going to take communion here in a few minutes. And if you're fasting, please take communion with us. But before we do that, I want you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. You're sitting here thinking, man, what must I do to be saved? I feel like that. I feel like I'm locked in a chain-bound prison. That it just feels like nothing's going right for me. Maybe, maybe you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have, and it's just been a while. And you're like, man, i got to re-up this thing. If today you're like, look, something's different. What do I have to do to be saved? It's pretty simple. You believe and call on the name of Jesus.